All right, so if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Isaiah 40 or use the Pew Bible again there in front of you. Um, Our passage for this morning is the end of Isaiah 40. We've been studying through this big Old Testament book and um, find ourselves at the end of, of chapter 40. It's on page 600 if you're using the Pew Bible. And we're really going to just look at five verses here at the end. So let's read those together. And then we'll dive in. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So have you ever heard the phrase or maybe even said it, that God helps those who help themselves? Okay. Well, guess what? That's the anti-gospel. Later on in Isaiah, there's a really powerful kind of nutshell verse it goes like this. It's Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him or who works for those who wait for him. It's only God in the universe. I mean, all the other gods are just lowercase g, false gods. The true God is a God who works for those who wait for him. So what does it mean to wait for the Lord? I mean, we're not so good at waiting. Patience is hard for most of us, right? Sounds kind of passive, doesn't it? What do you do, just sit on your hands? So we're going to need to know what it means and how to do it. Because obviously it's hugely important. God works for those who wait for him. And if we want our strength renewed, we're going to need to wait for the Lord, like it says in Isaiah 40. 31, and that's the song that we just sung, Everlasting God, comes from this passage right here. Okay, so there's an outline in the bulletin, or you'll see the points up on the screen if you want to follow that way, but let's dive in at verse 27, because really where this whole thing starts is with a feeling that God just doesn't care, that maybe he has abandoned us. Okay, so that's where... Um, God is meeting his people here, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Just really quick, for those of you that maybe haven't been here, um, Isaiah breaks into two main pieces, 1 to 39 and 40 to 66. And so this is a hinge, it's a, a huge transition right here. And Isaiah is writing to people who are in exile in Babylon. So 
These people, Isaiah is bringing good news. He's writing things that will be read by people in the future about comfort. Comfort's going to come and God's going to rescue us and all of this. But we're in exile in Babylon. We're under the thumb of this foreign oppressor. God, don't you know? Like, can't you hear us? And he says, don't you know? Don't you hear me? So who's got the right to the questions here? Um, we have the, the right to ask God questions. He's big enough to handle our questions. But whose questions are going to win here? Who's going to bow to who in the questioning? Okay? So here's what happens. When we suffer, when we face trial and difficulty and pain, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, we oftentimes, especially when it's prolonged, we feel like maybe God just, does he just not know? Does he not care? Maybe he's not even there. Maybe we've just, this is a crutch. We're just making all this up. My way is hidden. Like, come on, God, don't you see? Don't you know what I'm going through here? What's, what's underneath that? What's implicit in that kind of feeling, that sense? Well, if you did know what was going on, you wouldn't let it happen or let it continue, Right? Or the second thing that they're saying, my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, this isn't just. This isn't fair. I thought you were just and righteous. So what's implicit in that question, that challenge that we aim at God sometimes? It's usually something like this. What did I do to deserve this? I don't deserve this. I deserve better treatment than this. Now that might be because you have a bad theology of suffering, as if the righteous don't or shouldn't suffer. I just don't understand why I'm going through this. I mean, what did I do to deserve this? I... Or I've heard it many times, people say this about other people who are suffering. He's just been such a faithful Christian. What's underneath that? Like, if you're faithful, then everything's going to go well for you? Well, that didn't quite work out for Jesus, did it? So it can also be based on self-righteousness. This just shouldn't happen to me. I mean, this should happen to people that really screw up with their lives, but not me. I mean, I've worked really hard. God owes me. And that's the stuff that's underneath this. So come on, he must not know, he must not care, because if he did, he wouldn't allow this to continue. This is just unfair. And sometimes it leads to maybe God just isn't even there. Or maybe I'm just not even his. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Or maybe you could think, what did I do? Is he just tired of me? Like, I've worn him out. He's had enough. He's thrown up his hands. I mean, we, we humans do this, right? We get to that point where we say, I've had it up to here. I'm spent. I'm done. Well, maybe God does the same thing. Maybe we've just screwed up too many times. Maybe there's no way he's going to help us again. Maybe that's the sense sometimes. So whatever's going on, when, when those kinds of questions rise up, when we feel that way, what often happens is we spiral into doubt, anger at our circumstances, and really ultimately at God, despair, maybe depression, envy, you're struggling, you look around and go, oh, it must be nice. 
So what do you do? What do you do when you feel that way, when you feel abandoned by God? What do you need? What do I need when we're there? Well, actually, we need to know some things. Look at second point, what we need to know, verses 28 to 31. So if, if you're feeling abandoned by God, if you're not feeling that way right now, you probably will in the future. So this is good, like preventative medicine. It's like vitamins for your soul for when that day comes. When you're feeling abandoned by God, you need some theology. You need to know God. Now, don't scoff at that theology. Because you know what? I'm not talking about getting an advanced degree. I'm not talking about being some ivory tower egghead that just kind of bats around you know, ideas. The point is that all of us are theologians. Because everything we do, actually, is an outworking of what we believe about God. We're just usually not very aware of it. So you're either going to be a good theologian or a bad theologian. You're going to have true thoughts of God or they're going to be false. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he wrote, all our problems and their solutions are theological. So we need to think true and right thoughts about God or it's going to have some serious implications downstream in our lives. Okay, And this isn't my idea. This is where God's word goes. So look at verse 28, what we need to know. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So what we need to know when we're feeling abandoned by God, feeling weak and faint, we're struggling, we're doubting, we're depressed, whatever, we need to know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. Last week we considered how crazy God is in his bigness and the size of the universe and how small we are. That's the context here in Isaiah 40. So we need to know that he doesn't ever get tired. He never needs to get away. God never needs a break or a vacation. He doesn't sleep. He's never running on fumes. So he doesn't get moody or cranky. He never slows down. He never stops working. He never gets sick. He never gets sick and tired of helping people. He never gets lonely or depressed. He doesn't need anything. He is this self-sufficient, self-replenishing, overflowing, inexhaustible, indomitable fountain of omnipotence and glorious grace and mercy and love. So he can always give power to the faint. He can always increase the strength of the weak. Listen to Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He he who keeps you will not slumber. See, he doesn't need to sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And you know what the, the sweetest evidence or display of his I don't faint or grow weary. You know what the sweetest display of that is? Well, flip ahead just a page or so maybe in your Bible to Isaiah 42. 42, 1. 
This is really good news. God says, behold my servant. Who's that? Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. (laughs) He's not like Donald Trump. Um, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Later on in Isaiah, chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon this servant, the same one, this anointed one, because he's going to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's going to give the garment of praise, of joy, instead of a faint spirit. So who is this servant? It's Jesus. So in the Gospels, Jesus made it clear that he was the servant, this anointed one. And what did he do when he came to earth? He set his face like flint. And no one was going to stop him from accomplishing his purposes so that mercy and grace and strength, soul strength, could be given to us weak, wandering, sinful rebels. So he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, went all the way, straight away to the cross. So don't you know, haven't you heard, this is our God. Jesus came and he labored tirelessly in order to be able to say on the cross, the work is done. It's finished. You couldn't do it. You couldn't save yourself. I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to take it all the way to the end. So that I can say to you, say to all of us, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He bought that promise. The ability to say that to us by his blood on the cross. So God doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Back to Isaiah 40. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. These are promises, and Jesus came and he lived and died and rose again so that these promises could be ours if we trust him, if we turn from trying to run on our own steam, live independently of God, be our own gods and masters. If we trust in him, these promises are ours. So why would we turn away from, why would we doubt the love and the care of a God like this? We shouldn't be saying, do you not see? Do you not care? No, if if he didn't spare his only son but gave him up for us all, like we read in the scripture reading in Romans 8, how will he not also with him graciously give us the strength that we need for every trial? Nothing can separate us from his love. Even when we go through crazy trials, we still have him with us and we have his love and mercy so even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted so 
human strength, even in its most impressive forms, is limited and it wears down. So that word for young men in verse 30, basically you could just read the Navy SEALs or the Olympians. Okay, these would be like the toughest dudes in the ancient Near East that would be, you know, choice for the battle line. So have you ever seen those halftime shows at football game where they honor some famed football players from decades gone by? These are like some of the strongest, toughest guys they were in their prime, and some of them are hobbling onto the field. Some of them need to be driven on with a golf cart. Christopher Reeve played Superman for years, ended up as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Have you seen Muhammad Ali lately? Or how about women who used to be supermodels, they get wrinkly and the gravity of the grave causes everything to sag. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we sometimes feel abandoned by God. We wonder if he knows or cares, but there's something we need to know. The Lord's understanding is unsearchable. It's infinitely beyond us. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. We need to know that he is omnipotent. He never faints. He never grows weary. We need to know that those who wait for him will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So what does this mean? What does it mean to wait for the Lord? Point number three, verse 31 again. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It sounds, like I said, sounds passive, doesn't it? Like sit on your hands. You see a lot of people that, maybe you've had some interactions with people that justify their laziness or passivity or, you know, just uh, irresponsibility. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, you know. Well, you got to actually, you know, do something. So, so we actually might be a little bit like, uh, we might hold this out. We might not be inclined to really receive this word. Don't let the abuses have you stick your fingers in your ears here or hold this one out at arm's length. So I've wrestled with this one on and off for really many years, and I think I've partially understood it before this week, but I think the Lord really helped me see this with some greater clarity, actually even early this morning. Um, so I, I, as I was preparing this week, thinking, man, this has got to be really clear and practical because this is so important and Hopefully this is going to be clear and practical. So remember, here we go. Remember this was written to these Israelites that were in Babylon. Okay? They're in captivity. And God wanted to give these words of hope to these exiles. That he's going to come and he's going to deliver them. There's a word of comfort. But when they hear the words, they're still in Babylon. What do you mean comfort, comfort? Like, get us out of here, and then you can talk about comfort. What do you mean you're going to come, and, and everything's going to just be, you know, smoothed out for us? 
like it says at the beginning of Isaiah 40. You're going to tend your flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs in your arms, carry them in, the bosom, in, your, in your bosom close to your chest. You're going to take care of us. Well, we're still here. Are you really going to make good on these promises? Can we trust you for that? Well, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. So <clears throat> what does this mean to wait for the Lord? When you wait for the Lord, you are waiting in faith in confident expectation that God will make good on his promise. Okay? But here's, here's I think, a sentence that needs to ring in our, in our heads. Waiting for the Lord is what you do between the giving of the promise and the receiving of what is promised. Waiting for the Lord is what you do between the giving of the promise and the receiving of what is promised. Okay, so let me just give some examples so that this is clear and concrete because this is so absolutely central to the Christian life. So this is exactly the dynamic for Barry. I'll use Barry as an example because um, on most Wednesday nights at prayer meeting, he expresses his longing for the hope of the resurrection. And he's praying, he asks us to pray for patience as he waits for his new body. So there's a promise out there that one day everything's going to be made right. And this is a great hope. And Barry can't wait. But what do you do in between the giving of the promise, the promise has been revealed, but the, the actual like obtaining it is way out there in the future. What do you do? You wait for the Lord. Okay. That's maybe helpful a little bit. The timeline, though, between the promise and the fulfillment is not always our entire life. That's one application of this. But sometimes the timeline is just minutes or hours or days. Okay, so this waiting is true and necessary for little weaknesses, little struggles, as well as the big long-term waitings and struggles. So let me just give you another example. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a promise. I shall not want. Do you always feel like that's true? No, sometimes you feel like, where are you? I'm in some serious want here. What do you do between the giving of the promise and actually experiencing the promise? You wait for the Lord because you know he's going to make good on his promise. How about temptation? Here's another promise. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man, everybody. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise. You are in the heat of temptation, and you want to give in, and you want to think that you don't have any other option. You don't even want to find the escape hatch. Lord, help me wait for you and not yield right now. You see what I'm saying? You may not be out the escape hatch. What do you do until you get out that escape hatch? 
and avoid that temptation. You need to wait for the Lord. Ray Ortland says, we always sin too soon. We give in. We don't wait for the Lord. We run to quick fixes. And we are the weaker for it. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we need to know something, brothers and sisters. This is God's will. This is his way. He actually, listen, he actually intends to strengthen you by making you weaker and making you wait. Maybe you've noticed that you have to get weary and weak in order to feel the need for God, to feel the need to be renewed. We need to be weak to be truly strong. So Johnny Erickson Tata has been a quadriplegic for 50 years. She's been in a wheelchair for 50 years. Okay, many of you are familiar with her ministry. <laughs> um, in fact, I was thinking about this. So there's this, um, I listened to this podcast a while ago with this Navy SEAL. Um, man, this, this dude is like tough as nails. And actually, he's, he's got some really surprising and helpful things to say. But I was thinking of the, the, the contrast between Jocko Willink. I mean, if you think like SEAL of SEALs, you see a guy's picture, you're just like, oh my goodness, he's the poster boy, okay? I don't know if Jocko Willink is a Christian, but if he's not... He is going to wind down. I don't care if he can Brazilian jiu-jitsu any dude on the planet. Someday, he's going to get too weak to get out of his bed. So Jocko Willink, if he's trusting in his own strength, and Johnny Erickson taught it as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, what's the future look like for them? Johnny Erickson Trotta is going to go from strength to strength. And Jocko Willink is going to continue to get weaker and he's going to be thinking about the glory days and he's going to get so frustrated because his horizon closes. Listen to some of the things she, she's written. She is a living illustration of Isaiah 40, verse 31. She wrote this, The weaker we feel, the harder we lean on God. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow. I'm just going to read you four quotes from her. Suffering provides the gym equipment on which my faith can be exercised. God always seems bigger to those who need him most. And suffering is the tool he uses to help us need him more. And she writes, My wheelchair was the key to seeing all this happen especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. Those self-centered wants and wishes are what make us so weak. And here the Lord made her weak so that she could lean into him. And my goodness, do you know how like, productive that woman has been in her lifetime? It it's blows my mind. She wheels circles around all of us. She 
She's going to be unstoppable for all eternity. Same thing for the Apostle Paul. So he was privileged with a lot of gifts and the Lord had revealed so much to him. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, So to keep me from being conceited, puffed up, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, that it should leave me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So he said, Oh, okay. Then I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm not relying on my own strength anymore. I'm relying on God's and his strength. It's inexhaustible because he doesn't faint or grow weary. So God wants to give us his strength. He wants to, to give us himself. He wants us to trust him for that. But we've got to know that we need him. And so he's going to make us weak. In fact, sometimes he's going to bring us to the brink in order to show us that he can raise us out of any weakness. Okay? Like Paul at the beginning of 2 Corinthians felt like he had a death sentence. It was so heavy he couldn't see anything. And, and he says, that was so that we would not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. So do you see how important this is to know these things? I mean, if you don't know this, then you're going to read prolonged hardships and suffering in your life as God's indifference. You're going to wonder if he sees or knows or cares. But if you know this, you're going to read hardships and sufferings and delays, delays, God's timetable is different than ours, as his intention to make us weak, to make us strong. So this passage in the end, at the end of Isaiah 40 is supposed to be like the shot in the arm of your faith. Don't give up hope. Don't give in. Don't settle for quick fixes or substitutes. So I was thinking about these things again this week and really wanting it to be practical. And I, another aspect of this struck home. Do you remember how God called Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, right? In Exodus, Moses went to Pharaoh and what happened initially? Hey, let my people go. You guys must be idle. You must not have, sit around thinking of like going out in the wilderness. You don't have enough to do. So guess what? No straw. Find your own straw and make all these crazy bricks, this quota of bricks. So when that happened, the foreman, you know, the Israelite foreman who got their work orders from the Egyptian leaders, they saw they were in trouble here. This is Exodus 5. Because the number of bricks wasn't reduced, and they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turns to the Lord and says, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. Don't you know? Don't you care? But we know the whole story. We know that God was up to something good, and this delay actually ended up making his deliverance that much more powerful and a display of his glory, right? 
And so the more powerful the display of his glory in the long run becomes a more powerful reason to trust and be confident in this God, his ability to deliver. But if you were living in the story before the deliverance, Moses says, God sent me to deliver you, and you end up with more back-breaking labor and probably more lashes on your back because you can't meet your quota, what are you going to start saying? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. What did they need to do? Wait. Does that mean they just sit on their hands? No, they keep making bricks. But their confidence and their hope is in a different place. They're waiting. He said he's going to deliver. Help us trust you, Lord. Help us trust you and keep going until you make good on that promise. You've made the promise. We haven't seen the fulfillment of the promise yet, but we know your character. We're going to wait. So faith and patience were required. The Lord was not delayed by circumstances outside of his control in Egypt. He was working all things for good according to the counsel of his infinite wisdom. So it's precisely at these moments when we want to give up and give in, right? When the heat gets turned up. But what if we knew that the Lord has reasons, good reasons, for things to sometimes get harder before they get better? How about Noah? (laughs) You're building a boat, a really huge boat, um, because there's a flood coming. Right. You, yeah, more power to you there, Noah. Abraham and Sarah. You know what, Abraham and Sarah? I'm going to have you wait until you're way past childbearing age. And then I'm going to give you a son. And, you know, it was messy when they tried to take matters into their own hands rather than wait. It was like Jerry Springer show. <laughs> Joseph left in prison for two whole years after that cupbearer forgot about him after he got him out. Well, he didn't get him out. He predicted that he would get him out. Job, just on and on. This is God's pattern. So the question is, what do we do when we're in those circumstances? Well, here's, here's something to think about. We are inevitably, when the heat gets turned up, when God has made a promise, but it's not yet, we haven't obtained it, We're going to respond with fight and flight. The question is, or the questions are, what direction and with what results? Okay, so point number four, fight and flight. When we feel abandoned by God or when we feel like he's not coming through for us, we oftentimes fight in the wrong way. We rage. We kick against our circumstances. We get angry and bitter and envious and depressed. We complain and grumble. We get angry with other people. Have you ever had this happen where something happens to you and then you just take it out on somebody, the first person that gets in your path, and they had nothing to do with it? And it's ultimately because we're angry with God. Doesn't he see? Doesn't he know? And then our flight Where do we run to? We so oftentimes run to other false gods, saviors, sources of strength, ways to take matters into our own hands, meds, lots of ways people self-medicate, literally and figuratively. Alcohol and drugs can be that. Food can be that. 
things get too hard, we don't, wanna, we don't run to the Lord, we run to comfort food. Porn. Shopping. TV can be that kind of refuge for us. Sleep. Some people just run away from their problems and just sleep. You know what else you can do? You can daydream of a different spouse, of a different body, of a different job or whatever. If I only had... And the opposite of Isaiah 40, 31 happens when we live this way. When we trust in ourselves or we run to false gods, false sources of comfort, false sources of strength, those false gods are weak created things. We are weak. And we end up the weaker for it. So the muscles of our faith and hope in the Lord, they atrophy. And then we get all the more vulnerable the next time the heat's turned up all the more susceptible to go for the quick fix. So this passage is calling us, repent of that godless fight and flight as if there isn't an everlasting God who is the creator of the ends of the earth. And it's a calling to a new fight and flight pattern. It's called the fight of faith. So to trust in the Lord, it's very active. To hope in Him between the giving of the promise and the receiving of what is promised. So we fight the impulse to give in too quickly, too soon. So we hang in there by faith, knowing that God's up to something good. So this fight knows, like C.H. Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. So the pattern of life the Lord is calling us to here is different. It's a different kind of fight and flight. It's the fight for faith, and it's a fight (laughs) to wait for the Lord. What does that look like? It's not fighting against our circumstances, getting angry, raging against the machine. It's not fleeing to all these false sources. It's actually fleeing to the true refuge. So anybody here feeling abandoned by God or feeling like, man, why does this continue? Or why doesn't the Lord deliver? Or why doesn't he answer my prayer? Or why hasn't he? You feel the tension, the lack, the emptiness, the heat of living between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise? Well, our omnipotent, all-wise, loving God is saying, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't retreat. I do know. I do care. I am at work. I want to give you my strength. And in order to do so, you need to be weak. Trust me. So what do you do when your desires and your circumstances are coming together? Do we cave in and run to those false gods? Quick fixes? No, we wait. And We follow this pattern because we don't want to get impatient and run to some other false help or savior because we know, do you know this? We need to be reminded of this, that the wait is always worth it. The promises of God and God himself are worth the wait. What does this text say? It says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It's worth it. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God will come through. 
So, I mean, what, what kinds of things in your life have you been willing to wait for? What, what's been worth waiting for? A table at a favorite restaurant or I don't know. I mean, there's lots of dumb things that we are willing to wait for sometimes. Is this worth waiting for? Is, is God worth waiting for? Are his promises worth waiting for? Very great and precious promises? Yeah, they're worth the wait. He is worth the wait. And that's actually how we grow in strength. And we will never be put to shame. Those who wait on the Lord will never be put to shame. You will never regret waiting for the Lord. You will always regret sinning too soon. So let me just close by having us listen to the good news from Isaiah about our everlasting God. A few passages, three from Isaiah and then one from Romans that we read during the scripture reading and then we're going to transition and participate in the Lord's table together. So just listen to these verses. Let them sink in. Isaiah 64, 4, 4, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Isaiah 30, verse 18, therefore the Lord, the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And Isaiah 25, 9, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's worth the wait. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us to know, not just in our minds, not just facts in our heads, but really know how trustworthy and good and strong and gracious you are. And help us to know how weak and helpless, how impatient and prone to wander we are. And I pray that you would humble us, show us how we need to wait for you, make us want to wait for you because we want your strength. We don't want to pretend like we're strong enough to keep going in our own strength. We don't want to live in that illusion. So Lord, please strengthen your people and teach us to wait. In Jesus' name, amen.